HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte, and it has been three years, almost to the date. Almost to the date, actually. Um, I believe it was March 2013, I want to say. The last time I had this guest on, uh, and I'm very glad she's back. Uh, the lovely Katie Parla is in the studio today, and she's just released... Uh, a great new book uh, called Tasting Rome. Uh, it's Potter's the publisher. And uh, yeah. And uh, welcome back to the studio. It's great to be back, Damon Bolte. I know. It's great to see you. Three years. I can't it, believe it. I know. It's weird. It flies Time by. Time flies. It, it is true what they say about that. <laughs> um, Amazing. Yeah. Last time you were here, we were talking a lot about uh, like Italian drinking culture and we're talking about pizza and your, your pizza and beer obsession. And, uh, <laughs> I like carbs. Yeah. A lot. I mean, who doesn't? That's that's where all the flavor is, really. Um, yeah, so uh, you've been busy working on this book. Running around. I mean, you do a lot of writing. It's you're you're all over the place. I mean, yeah, you're, you're just. I write a lot of things. Yeah, it's usually it's about amazing. pizza and beer, but sometimes cocktails also. <laughs> <laughs> what, what inspired you to uh, write this book? Outside of the obvious reason that like it's great tasting food. I mean, yeah, I mean, Roma has its obvious appeal, but I don't think that there's really been any major book publication that has covered the 21st century, what we eat, what we drink in Rome today, why, how that's changed. I mean, Rome is obviously the capital of, of Italy. It's sort of like a metropolis in a way, but a village in other ways. And like all metropolises and villages, it's susceptible to uh, mutation and contamination by external sources. So I really wanted to show how, in particular, the past you know, 13, 15 years that I've been living in, in Rome, um, what you might find today if you're looking for some really good drinks or some really good food that you might not expect um, if you haven't been there in a while. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's true of any, like you said, like New York City, if you haven't been here in like six months, yeah. how much has changed? Yeah. So the pace of Rome is a little bit different than right. the pace of New York or <laughs> London or anything. So yeah, like in, in Rome, when we sort of talk timelines, we're talking in completely different, uh, like a completely different spectrum. So when we say like modern in Rome, we mean like Renaissance or after. Yeah. <laughs> so trends don't trends don't like happen very rapidly and although there is a tremendous amount of sort of new business opening especially like in and around the center um you know we don't have like you know 15 different cocktail trends descending on the city and and sort of changing the way that people drink you know one month after the next or even one year after the next it's sort of a very slow transition which really starts in 2009 when the jerry thomas project opens and provides a venue for people to actually have drinks outside of a a glamorous cocktail bar in a hotel, which was previously the place where cocktail culture was based in Rome. Right. Yeah. We talked a little bit about that last time you were here, right? Exactly. Um, Yeah. So, um, with things like that, so like even from the last time that you were on the radio, uh, or on this show, at least, um, what have you seen change in regards to that? So, yeah, I think that since I've been on the show, and in particular in the past like year and a half, two years, um, what I've seen is a lot of the craft cocktail bars and the bartenders that are driving um, the the movement is that they're fully embracing Italian flavors, a lot of bitter flavors. Um, One of my favorite bartenders, Patrick Pistolesi, was very involved with the Expo last year Mm -hmm. and created a, a number of aperitivi, which were meant to be these... They were not exactly like light and sort of like bright like a spritz, but they're still like aperitifs that are looking back to late 19th, early 20th century northern Italian tradition. So even though he's mixing drinks in Rome, he's also looking at sort of Italian cocktail culture as a national thing rather than one that's really specific to a uh, region. Yeah. And that's well that's tip that's kind of that's really cool because it's like the way I've always understood it is like in Italy, it's like people kind of keep to their regions. They don't really, totally. they don't really go outside of that. I guess it's like that in a lot of European countries. You know, they kind of stay very regional, and that's the appeal of it. You know, a lot of times, and like that's the difference between the United States is like we like a lot of these old school cocktail ingredients. They didn't come from here, you know, and so. Yeah. We're like, all right, well, I mean, it just came, it came from over there, man. I don't know. <laughs> Shit. I don't know. Well, I think a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of the fascination that, that I have with you sort of various American, American cocktail, um, traditions is that there are like hyper regional flavors, but then there's also sort of like the sort of general American cocktail. Mm-hmm. And in Italy, we have, we have something similar in a way until let's say 2003 or so 2005 um, the spritz was very deeply rooted in a specific set of cities and because Campari bought spritz and spritz becomes this global phenomenon now it's sort of an Italian aperitif that whether you're in Bologna or Bari you can enjoy it for a few euros at, at your local bar so I mean, in one sense, you're sort of losing the historical context of those drinks. But in another way, people are able to have access to different types of drinking rituals. And Italy, Rome, um, the, the cities of the cities of Italy are are constantly changing and constantly being influenced by various large cocktail or rather large, uh, large liquor producers. So what I think is really fun is uh, is the sort of arrival of different red bitter liqueurs in the market which in rome you know before 2009 well not even before like 2013 you wouldn't have found anything but campari or aperol and now you have capelletti and 
number of different red bitter aperitifs that are coming from the northern part of Italy being used by these uh, fantastic cocktail bars like Jerry Thomas Project or um, Colzo or Chorus or Cafe Propaganda. So are, are you getting like, access to things like uh, Grand Classico and like, I mean, Luxardo has always been around, uh, you know, but uh, I, I feel like Luxardo is kind of like the... Uh, kind of workhorse kind of well mm-hmm. of sorts of like, like when it comes to certain spirits that they provide you know with like maraschino liqueur it's like sure. that's been like the standard to go to for the longest time but like things like the look sort of bitter which i actually really like it's never really been seen behind the bar yeah um, i mean it it's definitely yeah it's definitely it's not omnipresent but you're finding like Luxardo and like Koki's various lines of, of sure. liqueur starting to arrive. And it really took, it takes these sort of like family owned companies to decide to make a really concerted decision that they're going to start marketing to Italian bartenders rather than just relying on their international market, which is an incredible source of revenue, of course, for them. But now that there is a sort of more openness to different flavors at the bar, people are willing to try different different things. So it's 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 a it's a sort of amazing thing that just in the past you know two and a half three years, we're seeing a, an embracing of like quote unquote Italian flavors, like the bitter flavor profiles in particular, red bitter liqueurs, etc. Yeah, I was like I always wondered about the uh, the different <clears throat> when you when you start looking at them, like bitters of like france and then and italy i mean they're not too far apart from each other per se but i mean like when you start thinking about like gentian root and like versus like something like that more like bitter citrus pill and then like even we haven't touched on fernet yet you know yeah and but of course we are talking about aperitif but um i, I don't know it's they're all so close but they're so different and, and is there is there an italian uh, kind of an equivalent to like a Suze? Yeah, Genziana. Genziana. Yeah, I mean, which yeah. is just the generic term for just gentian, gentian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> gentian steeped in spirit. And, you know, it's I love that you bring this up. Gentian is like one of my favorite things ever. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's like it creates these super stringent products. It's a very acquired taste. I try to force it on people all the time um, at my favorite uh, trattoria in um, or one of my favorite trattorias in Testaccio because it is something that would not have been used in cocktails really yeah. um, as a sort of main ingredient. Although obviously it's present in various liqueurs, which is you know, a part of a, a mixture of, of roots and, and spices and everything. But sort of gentian digestif um, is served at this awesome place called La Torricella and the people there from Abruzzo. So they have obviously this like Apennine mountain vibe going on. Um, and they serve their homemade gentian, like obviously totally legal. Not, you're not allowed to serve homemade things at, at Italian restaurants anymore. Um, oh, but that's a uh, bummer. yeah, I know it's such a bummer, but there's not a whole lot of like people policing <laughs> these things. Sure. Yeah. No one's going to call like one, one, three, which is the Italian nine, one, one and say like, Hey, like Augusto at Torricella selling his gentian. Um, and there's no label on it, and it's like illegal. Meanwhile, no there's like do a that. mafia bus next door. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Let's just say that the Calabrian mafia has a few businesses in Rome that get shut down in these like giant sweeps. Um, uh, so, so yeah, like gentian, gentian's something that I don't, I don't really see that flavor as something that young Italians will necessarily like go back to in huge numbers like their their grandparents did when they were sort of looking for digestive flavors at the end of a meal. But I do see it becoming more and more common, um, which is great because before 
a few years ago, what you would find at the end of a meal is a, at a restaurant, people would offer you like limoncello, which is usually from some big factory, um, um Averna, eh, Montenegro. So you would have like a few gigantic industrial productions of, of Amaro offered to you. And now like there are a few places that are like, oh, I've got, we've got our Gentian in the back and... And I love that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, totally. I, you know, I've always had this weirdly, like, backwoods romantic idea of, you know, Aperol and Campari being, like, <laughs> the Budweiser and Coors. <laughs> or, like, the Ford and Chevy of the, you know, like, the Italian world. Where, like, you're basically born into a uh, certain subset subject of, uh, of, like, ah, my dad was a Ford man, so now I'm a Ford man. Or maybe you're just, like, ah, kind of rebellious, and you're like, you know. Yeah, my, well, dad, my dad was a party <laughs> drinker, but I, I'm an Aperol drinker, you know, like... Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. It's sort of like, in a way, it's like soccer teams. You inherit right, right. from your family. Like, you don't just freestyle it and be like, well, my dad is from Milan and drink Campari, but I'm going to do, like, something totally different and have, like, Capoletti all the time. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. If you're in a city, especially... Well, if you're in a specific city, like, in Milan, Campari dominates. It has been there since, sort of inception of modern drinking culture it's not going anywhere um you know whereas in a place like padova you've got um aperol but then also the arrival of a lot of other things for various for various reasons so yeah it's a it's a fun time to be drinking in italy and and it's actually a really fun time to be drinking italian drinks in america i really really love coming back here and going to places like dante and finding like a garibaldi like the garibaldi orange juice and campari together like beautiful to look at but something you don't really find in in italy um unless you're at very specific places so like if i ordered a garibaldi at my local bar they'd be like uh what um or even a negroni some people have difficulty like I'm figuring, yeah. figuring that out, which is sort of shocking. <laughs> I'm really surprised. After, like, actually, to talk about that, I mean, like the, uh, I mean, we live in such a. We always talk about living in this like tiny Bible, uh, tiny bubble, uh, tiny Bible. We live, I live in a, in a tiny. T- I live in a large Bible. <laughs> it's called Rome, Italy. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Um, well, you know, we live in this tiny like cocktail bubble, and uh, and uh, like everyone knows what a Negroni is, but I, I'm still like sometimes when. When some customers come in and order Negronis, just very nonchalant, like that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, you know, you travel anywhere else outside of the the major cities in the United States, and it's still like it's not as well known. Sure, but, it, but that's to be expected, and uh, I think that's it's still fascinating, you know. But like Garibaldi, oh my god, I, <laughs> I actually uh, was with uh, who was it with? Jesus. Uh, you were with uh, Jesus? That's crazy. I was with Jesus. Um, in your tiny Bible, perhaps? <laughs> my tiny Bible. <laughs> we went to Cabo Dante, and I ended up taking, like, well ordered them, and I ended up taking someone else's after I slammed mine, because it was so good. It's so delicious. I think he, like, blended it. I'm pretty sure he just, like, threw a whole orange and some Campari in a blender. So good. Blend. Like, that's so the smart. The whole orange. Just threw it in there. And that's something you would never really find in, in Italy. So it's sort of one of these things where you find perhaps I would argue an improved version of that sure. of that classic drink. But yeah, I think it's it's a really fun moment for Italian cocktails. And of course, you know, Leslie and, and Talia's spritz book is like yeah. so incredible and is going to be a wonderful ambassador for the sort of spritz culture, um, which uh, which is super, super exciting. I love that. Yeah, I could totally see 
the, your book and the Spritz book getting kind of like bundled on, uh, you know, Amazon if they're out there together. I like have shamelessly just been giving my, <laughs> giving my book to friends and family and being like, also here is Spritz on top. Yeah. Like, don't even look at my book. Look at it later, but look at this one first. Nice. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick, uh, just a tiny break. And then when we get back, we'll continue talking about Tasting Room with Katie Parlow. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. Have you listened to A Taste of the Past? It's a show devoted to connecting our current food world with its storied past. Host and culinary historian Linda Palaccio welcomes chefs, scientists, authors, scholars, and revolutionaries into the studio to discuss food culture and history from around the globe. Have you seen the culture of food change over the past 25, 30 years? It's been incredible. Linda covers content ranging from the history of black chefs in the White House to behavioral psychology and the evolution of Italian food in America. You can listen to A Taste of the Past anytime on HeritageRadioNetwork.org or on iTunes and Stitcher. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy, and I have Katie Parla in the studio today. And we were just talking about the release of her book, Tasting Rome, that, you know, you said you've been you've been doing this for a while. You've been living in Rome for 13 years? Correct. So? Yeah. And you've... You've worked on so many books, so I imagine you've been like not. You're, I mean, you're from here. I'm from Jersey. Yeah, you're a Jersey girl. <laughs> I'm Jersey girl. Yeah, Jersey. But like having uh, having traveled like that and back and forth a lot, and also with all the the book tours. Like, what what is your your regiment for? Uh, like the the closest I could ever get to that is going on like a weekend motorcycle trip or like a two week tour with my band. But both of those almost killed me. Um, oh, yeah. So how do you how do you maintain life on the road? when you're doing book tours and all this stuff like yeah it's tough i mean i think uh one thing that's really important is i have my mom help me make a list of things to pack so i don't constantly have to buy like (laughs) new mac chargers and like all underwear and socks every single time i move (laughs) hotels um because i'm a mess when it comes to those like detailed things but i just i try to make time to go for like a run every few days um, just to like, as we say, like smaltita, which is like burn everything off. It doesn't really work, but it <laughs> puts my head right. Um, and, uh, and I try to like schedule my meals so that I make sure that I don't have, that I don't like quote unquote miss anything. <laughs> um, knowing that, it, you know, if you're in like Montreal for 48 hours or like, you know, Toronto for 24 hours or Los Angeles for three days, you can't do everything, but, but I sort of prioritize those things. And then I feel like I've done as much as I can in addition to like working, and going to all of these like fantastic dinners and things. And I'm super psyched about, about the book tour. I'm really excited about uh, our party at Grand Army Bar tonight from 5 to 7 oh, p.m. Yeah. Um, doing a little tasting room aperitivo. And then, 
yeah, like I hit the road on Saturday and first big dinner is with my cousin in Austin, Texas oh, wow. um, at Visconti at the nice. Hotel Grand Duca and then like Shia's place in New Orleans. And it's it's going to be a really fun time. Cool. I, it might kill me, but, you know, oh, well, that, so it's nice knowing a, you. It's a great way to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way to die. Um, so like when you when you do the uh, the book tour stops, when you, you go, you, I mean, like, I know we're cut from the same cloth and it's like most trips involve just the priority is like eating and drinking. Yeah, of course, totally. You know, maybe you see a site here and there, but it's mostly based on eating and drinking. Like I'm going to Martinique next weekend and that, that's all about going oh God, to visit so rum fun. distilleries. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I was, I was wondering, uh, since you, you focus so much on Italian food, do you, do you, Typically, when you're in these different cities, is that the focus to go check out the the local like Italian spots, or do you get Often. to like? Often, I mean, I think because in the past 13 years, I've had so I've built so many wonderful friendships with people in the industry who have like open restaurants or bars, and like we've met in Rome, um, and so I want to see what they're up to. I want to like sure. connect with them, so I often end up eating in a lot of Italian-oriented places. Sometimes like straight up Roman places. Um, I try to make time for dumplings just generally in my life, regardless yeah. <laughs> of whether I'm traveling or not. Um, and I love craft beer, like more than what, like anything <laughs> practically. So I always try to hit up a craft beer place. Um, and even I'll drink Italian craft beers, but I'll oh, yeah. try to stick to like sort of what's local as well. Yeah. Yeah. Last time you were here, we were talking about, we, we turned, we, we kind of uh, talked about that for a little bit uh, about the Italian craft beer availability, not only, I mean, like, what you're seeing happening in in Italy, but man, there's so many of them here. There are companies like 12% that are just bringing in all these crazy Italian beers. Yeah. And, um, well, there's a lot of funky stuff and like, especially yeah. the, the, the more like complicated, like meditation beers and things wouldn't necessarily, you wouldn't find them necessarily at like a, your average craft beer pub in Italy, but I see them all the time. I was at Gramercy Tavern yesterday eating a very delicious burger, which is also a priority when I travel. And their Italian craft beer list is really super interesting. Um, and they have like large format bottles, a lot of them adapted to pairing with dessert. So super, also super like well curated and, and, and they know they know what's up and, and how to pair them with food. So that's really great. Yeah. Have you seen anyone mixing cocktails with Italian craft beers? Um, I don't think so. Actually, yeah, I can't remember, but I've, I had like a, I think it like chorus or something in Rome. I had some beer-based cocktail, but that's pretty vague. Sorry, I can't be more specific than that. Cool. It was a long night. <laughs> no, I, I, I just, that just popped in my head, actually, because beer cocktails are something that have been coming around a lot more, even since the last time you were on the show. Yeah, um, for sure. And it's uh, it's such a cool page on a menu, you know? It's it, it's really cool to have that that uh, little section. Um, it's They're weird to deal with. It's It's a challenge, but it's really cool when you nail one. But that's something that's really cool about Italian beers. Like they've always had like a richer, like to me, like always a richer, maltier kind of thing. That's that would actually work well in in beer cocktails. I'd love for you to create one. That would be so much fun. Yeah. Do you make any beer cocktails with Italian craft beers? No, not yet. Not yet. No, I haven't. I said it. Like I said, <laughs> it just popped in my head. Um, but yeah. All right. I'm gonna mess with that. That's for sure. Um, yeah. Huh. Anyway. Cool. I'm on board. <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you, well, go back to the travel thing. Do you get to uh, see many sites like outside of the eating and drinking? You know, I have. Uh, I've 
learned to forgive myself for not going to every single museum, which is how I used to travel when yeah. I was in college. I used to just like have a list of every single museum and archaeological site, and I studied art history, so I was super obsessed with antiquities and things. And I really burnt out traveling that way. I really, really like to take things a little bit slower. I, I've learned, especially like in the past few years, I've been super busy writing. I've learned that like self-care is really important. So I actually get more out of like a run to clear my head and sort of like balance myself than going to museum, which is of course culturally enriching. But I always say like, I can go back to these places at my leisure when I'm on tour, you know, I'm in a city for 24 hours or less. I've got to prioritize. What is your, okay. So you've been in Rome forever and that's obviously like your favorite city, right? I mean, I really, really like (laughs) Jersey city, Jersey cities. I really do. Um, Yeah. I mean, Rome's great. I love, I, I love Milan, um, which is a place I didn't, I didn't even realize I loved until I started visiting a few years back with more frequency. Istanbul is one of my favorite spots. Not mm-hmm. the not the most exciting place for drinking, but certainly right. a great food city. Um, yeah, LA is fun. I love. I think I like every place. Maybe <laughs> I don't discriminate. <laughs> if, when you get to travel, that love much, you, Poughkeepsie. Like, yeah. <laughs> when you get to travel that much, every city is like, all right, cool. This yeah. one too. Yeah, there's like <laughs> I mean I, I feel like it's a regardless of the place and I mean I'm I'm from New Jersey people like shit on it quite a lot but but they're like even tiny little towns like 17th century towns, 18th century towns in New Jersey that, that have something to offer especially if you go, you know, beyond the beyond the obvious. So Like, like Matuchin? Totally. Yeah. That's exactly what <laughs> I had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jersey, man. I you know, it's like rad. It's it's fun to make fun of it when you live in New York, but at the same time, like I'm from Oklahoma, so I, you know it trickles all this shit <laughs> trickles downhill. But yeah, you know I actually um, <laughs> this is stupid. I had this. Tell uh, me, I I've never been to Italy. What? But, uh, no, yeah, um, dude. I've had a couple opportunities, but I, I've never never done it. Um, one time, I actually missed a flight going to Newark Airport. Oh man. <laughs> But that's because I did a stupid thing, and I took the train to the, like, air tram thing. Oh, near New Jersey Transit, that, like, air tram thing? Yeah. Oh, that's bad news. It's great on the way home. Yeah. But if you're trying to get there on time. No, not ideal. Yeah. Love you, New Jersey Transit. Yeah, it's totally cool, man. <laughs> totally cool. Um, All right. So, uh, so man, yeah, we're going to go back to my bar here in a little bit and uh, have some snacks and some drinks. Can you give us a little insight to what's on the menu? Yeah, we're going to have... Uh, the Cinquemarandi Smalt, which is sort of like a gin sour with a um, red wine floater thing going on. And that is a beer, that, a beer, a beer on the See, brain. Now we Hello. Beer on the brain. Um, it's a cocktail that was created by Patrick Pistolesi, um, who's this really, really awesome bartender. Are we doing the Carbonara Sour too? I think so. Yeah. Um, so like another sort of sour drink. Um, Ooh, I should actually know exactly what we're serving today. Garibaldi. The, oh, the Garibaldi. Awesome. So uh, orange juice and Campari and then lots of snacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first the first chapter of Tasting Rome has a bunch of snacks that are adapted to like dinners or cocktail parties. So some delicious fried things. I love delicious fried things. I like delicious fried things a lot. Oh my God. Especially with beer. Yeah. It's going to be fun. <laughs> and and uh, from five to seven, yep. we're going to be chilling. There'll be some books um, for sale, I'll be signing books. I'll be talking about Rome. Come on down, hang out. Are we doing Rome with a view? Oh, we should. That's such a good one. <laughs> that would make sense, right? Yeah. And also, it's up it's to you. The, it's it's, up up, to it's you. also in the sports book. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And that's uh, is that from Attaboy? That's from yeah, I think no, it's from uh, uh, do, 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 do. 
Oh gosh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. I want to say Middle Branch, but okay, cool, awesome. I had Middle Branch. I love that. I love that drink. I mean, you're in charge. All right. Well, I, I'm going to be on the side of the. I'm going to be on the same side of the bar as you. Because okay. Cool. <laughs> I did break my toe uh, oh, no. earlier in the week, so I'm just going to be on a bar stool. Okay. Sitting there, hanging out with you. Okay. I'm really sorry <laughs> that happened to your toe, but I'm glad that you can hang out. Well, these drinks and these snacks will make it. That's for sure. <laughs> and just hanging out with you because you're the best. Um, you are. So yeah, everyone, come by uh, Grand Army tonight from five to seven. Uh, be hanging out with Katie. We'll be snacking and drinking and just really loving life, doing it the Roman way. Does that does that, See, is that dirty? Picking all. <laughs> doing it the Roman way. <laughs> all right. That's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many other programs like this. And also, before we leave, I do want to say, God bless you, Merle Haggard. It was great having you around for all these years. We're going to miss you. R.I.P. All right. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The in that rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>